Well, you've done it. You have downloaded episode 100 of the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Stoicism Part 2. I want to thank you. That's right, you who are listening, wherever you are, in whatever country, treadmill, vehicle, on a walk. Thank you for your listenership and your support. This has been fun. We love doing this every single week. The Brew Theology Podcast is a microcosm of what we do in the pubs every single week in the Mile High City. We have eight chapters across the country. You've heard Jersey Brew Theology on these shows as well. We bring in speakers once a month as well. We brew up these amazing topics across the theological, philosophical, socioeconomic, whatever kind of spectrum. Really, everything's on the table. And we engage in what we think are healthy, meaningful, and eclectic conversations, creating these interfaith, interreligious, and intergenerational communities. Male, female, young and old, people of color, white, straight, LGBT+, all of that. And we really do affirm all people from all walks of life. And we only ask this one thing. When you show up around the table, don't be an eggplant emoji. That's it. That's why we have what we think uh, we've succeeded throughout the years. And we just love that we get to brew theology over these internet waves and get it out to you out there so thanks for your support if you'd like to support us uh, financially you can do that as little as one dollar a month or five dollars a month just go online to brewtheology.org and there's a donate button you can do a one-time donation or be a monthly contributor also if you would like to be a part of this network and actually start a chapter wherever you are we would love to get that going that's actually the heartbeat is to create these communities because we love what we're doing in denver We love it. We're seeing across the country as well and all the other chapters. It's a great network and there's so much autonomy as well. You don't have to sign any statement of faith. If you've listened long enough, you know that. (laughs) Uh, We've got people, um, you know, who are Christian and some who are atheist and Buddhist and Jews and then some. And so actually the next episode 101 is going to be with a local Denver shaman. And that'll be a a great episode as well. So thanks for listening. This is part two of Stoicism. Thanks to Elizabeth Humphrey for cranking out this content for our community. Hope it works well wherever you're at as well. We are at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram as well as Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. Remember, also, if you're in Denver for the American Academy of Religion on Friday, November 16th, we're going to be at the Blue Moon Brewery private back room in Rhino. And that's a three-hour event. It is free. All you got to do is purchase some beers, and we'd love to see you there. You got to RSVP on Meetup, so go to um, our—we posted that on all our social media pages, so we're um, on—there's a link to the Meetup as well, and we would love to have you there. All right. Peace. I think there's something to be said for the idea that you have to be privileged to be reflective. There are people that are working in the field, and they reflect all day long while they're working. Yeah. I don't think it's a matter of privilege either, if I can make that point. Sure. I think, I think maybe it's maybe a fair way to say it is it's not the same for everybody. And, and, and that's part of the, that's part of where their push for reason and logic just doesn't, it, that's not enough either. Like, cause not everybody functions there. I think there's a lot to be said for perspective. What one person deems logical can be absolutely insane to another person. Oh, totally. Like, so (laughs) one of those articles, if you go search for this on Google, um, a lot of people complain about the bad choices that poor people make. Well, but these articles will walk you through like to them, 
it is the most logical choice they can make because it promotes their survival and their ability to get from one day to the next. So like not saving, but spending money that you have right now makes way more sense than trying to save it for this, this ineffable in substantial thing in the future because the future might not be there. Like it's, and it's all built around like bias and experience and it, for them, it is as logical as it could be because they don't know anything else and they're trying to survive. Um, that's a great point. Like, I think perspective has a huge amount to say on that. So we're going to talk about some famous people, modern people, Oprah, Oprah, holla. So <laughs> these famous people, they embrace the power of positive thinking. You get a car. I get a car. We all get a car. But Stoics believe in negative visualization. They encourage you to imagine that something that you deeply fear, so for instance, the loss of your job, the death of somebody that you love, has already happened. So another way of doing this is to remember that something that you initially thought was bad, but that turned out to be a good thing, or at least it turned out to be not as bad as it could have been. In your own life, this is our question, do you find positive thinking or that more stoic, realistic thinking most beneficial? Or it's two negator. sides of the same coin. My mom, today I talked to her after work, and she was talking about how she hated that when her hair grew, her perm got cut off, and then she was stuck with straight hair again. And my point was, yeah, but you still have hair. And so uh, is that positive thinking, or is that um, understanding that the reality is her hair is going to be straight because her hair doesn't grow a perm? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm not sure, I, I think those are very, it's like stubbornness and persistence. I think they're very close and there is, a, we're back to perspective again of if you imagine the worst and realize how grateful you are to, for that not to be, is that negative or is that positive? Or is that negative turned into a positive? Like the, the Chinese symbol for crisis and opportunity being the same thing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think this, I think this, the stoic realistic thinking works if you have enough energy or perspective or ability to turn it. Like this is as bad as it could be, but it could be worse. The problem is I think a lot of people just, they can get really stuck in what's, what could the worst be? So you're and, talking about habits of thinking? Um, probably. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we, at least I lean closer to a stoic, than a positive thinker. I have to work hard to be optimistic, ask Ryan. And um, like that's something that I have to do intentionally. And I know other people like Ryan, that they intentionally would have to work hard at thinking about the negative. Um, and that's just who we, who we are. And there's probably a whole series of things that made us become that way. Um, but but I think also like just the awareness of like struggling with mental illness of like if you lean more pessimistic or most more stoic and you're in a downward turn, like thinking about the worst things can be is not going to help you at all. Like and thinking about the positives that seem completely out of reach actually isn't going to help either. It's how do I get again again it somehow it leads me back to this like I need to get from here to, to tomorrow in one piece and then I need to get from there to the grocery store and, and like be able to do that on our daily basis until I can start living a little bit different and have more space to think about some of this. Um, I think when I, when I wrote this, one of the things I was thinking about is 
a group of my friends who deeply believe in the power of positive thinking and the belief that if you put out positive thoughts into the universe, the universe will give you only good things back. But that's... And, and that's, Prove it. but that is a, a way that a lot of people think. And it's a very, um, I mean, there's books that have, have sold millions of copies yeah. based on that philosophy. It's a very bolder philosophy too, if, yeah. if you're ever in Boulder. And, and that's why stoicism would just be hated by a huge percentage of the population because there is that idea of the universe is dying to give you good things so just embrace it and it'll come to you so it it's i can see somebody reading and listening to about stoicism and i'm thinking of a a good friend of mine who's who has the positive thinking vibe going on and she would be almost sickened by what stoics think it would make her sick because she would see it as such a negative way to view the world. I'm not, I, I don't think of myself as a positive thinker, but my daughter recently said, you're always a positive thinker. But I think it's, it's that Midwestern concept of hope for the best, plan for the worst, right. and see what happens in between. Yeah. But there, I mean, I cannot think of some of the books that, that my friends have recommended, but there are just dozens and dozens of books based on those concepts that people believe like a religion. Yeah, I think I heard one of the biggest um, biggest selling genres of teen books are the kind of the apocalyptic um, dystopian novels um, that are kind of, well, as some of my friends have joked, preparing them for the future to come. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> to be aware of what's going on around you, but resist anyway. Um, but I, I mean, I think there's a balance here that that different people have, and I wish I'd love to understand like how you end up in one camp or the other, like mm-hmm. because that seems mysterious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, to me, it it's becomes a religion. It's it's another form of religion in how you train your brain to be, and and, and I could never buy into it for well, that that's reason. That's hard to like come to terms with after coming out of yeah. where we've come out of. Like, so you just want to brainwash me the other way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, no thanks. Yeah. You could pick one. Ooh. <laughs> if I could pick one, if if I Joel had Joel Osteen all the way, as long as I get the plane and the I Tesla. If I had to pick one, oh, yeah. I would choose the power of positive thinking, though, because wow, doesn't it sound awesome? And you could share. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you had everything you needed, you right. could share. Yeah. Joel, what's his name? Yeah, professes a belief that if you're, if you love God, I mean, I'm probably paraphrasing, but if you love God enough, then He'll bless you. Right, and if prosperity you, if you're, gospel yeah, all the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you're, if you're poor, then you must be, you know, terrible in your faith right, of God. Exactly. And I so Protestant ethic. S- I was going to say I, I was raised Protestant, but that is not the belief that I was raised with. Well, because the, the, I think there's a little bit of an old religion, new religion yeah. ideology here yeah. going on that's clashing because um, I don't consider myself a positive person, but I was certainly raised with empowerment in the idea that, yes, good, bad things can happen to good people, but if you align yourself with what you believe, and I, again, I apologize for the term moral, but if you align yourself with what you have been taught to believe is "quote unquote" right or righteous, even if I can use that word, yeah, it's a good word. That there are blessings that are promised that 
and, and things that you're spared from in terms of consequences of being off the path, if you give in to temptation, if you indulge in. And there's a difference between, there's nothing wrong with being tempted or even falling off the path, but when you, there's a difference between that and indulging. There's a difference between a slip and a run down the hill. You know, and, and so this idea that, that you can find joy in serving others and that you can find joy in, in following what you believe if God, again, not a church authority, but that God expects of you, that you believe you're following the voice that he guides you with, that there is, that is the best and purest sense of joy and happiness and that there's a positive existence if you live day to day, that then you look back on days full of that. And that's a lot different than the idea of the external in that sense, I guess it's a stoic kind of Christianity that it's about your internal heart and your internal mind versus the external things that have. We're talking about, you know, money and wealth and clothes and, you know, quote unquote, good things happening. That's all external and it's transient and temporary. And to place your faith on the things that are temporary is 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 gonna set you up and well, is, not, is my understanding in the i mean so a lot of this so. does root back into puritanism that if you're on the path and you're doing things right then the result of that is you will be blessed and you'll be blessed with the internals hopefully but but what kind of blessings are we talking about well that's, that's where that's, that but that's you know, the, what where has developed twisted. over time right is, but i'm saying that there's a difference in blessing but even then the the theology around them when they landed here is that this was the new eden and that this was the new beginning and that this was God's land that was being given to them. And so this is the promised land that we have earned by being obedient and coming here and we will be blessed. And if we are obedient, we will be blessed. Like, and that that's rooted all the way back into that early faith that then merged pretty quickly with capitalism. And th th this isn't any anybody's fault necessarily it's just that the two systems emerge together and so in a capitalistic system if we want to measure blessing i'm not saying i agree with it yeah but if we want to measure blessing we measure blessing in dollars and so if we want to measure who has the better belief system who has the better moral system who has the better church system it it all starts coming down to money whether that's the intent of our heart or not it's part of what has developed in our structure and so like prosperity gospel who's is really being worshipped that's a great question <laughs> so i mean like in prosperity gospel that's gone off the deep end but like the truth is those are the preachers that are informing our government right now like it it's beyond ironic and they're informing a huge number of christians a yeah. huge number of christians follow joel Steen. And, and think he's next to God. And even non-Christians on Facebook that I know will post stuff by him because they want so much to believe in that idea of prosperity, even if they don't believe in God. They want that But prosperity. if I choose the right, then I will be blessed. Right, right. And, and then there's in the, the flip side of this, the other side of the coin is that, is that the poor deserve to be poor because they've earned it. The oppressed deserve what they got for some reason because they wouldn't be impressed if they were good, right? I mean, it just, and women get what they get because if they were dressed right, then that wouldn't happen to them. Like this, it becomes very toxic and pervasive very quickly. 
And it is rooted in these early ideas that... My, my favorite is the one, because sin came to humanity because of women, so it's, women need to be held accountable forever for right, that. forever and ever and ever, because Jesus' blood on the cross wasn't the right kind of blood to redeem women. <laughs> like, only they carry that, I guess. Uh-huh. There it um, is. <laughs> and number three <laughs> periods they're normal there, oh, you're not saying there's like a period at the end of that statement you're, sure. you're talking, okay. uh, so much of this stoicism it seems inwardly focused yet it's all, it also emphasizes the interdependence which we've had a podcast on that interdependence of all humans Stoics believe that all of our choices affect others and that we are a part of a chain of dependence, both with other humans and with nature. So how could Stoic philosophy benefit society as a whole and not just as a practice that helps individuals, but something that really like creates what I would call the shalom on earth, peace on earth? Well, I, I read about a comparison between Stoicism and Christianity where they talked about the similarity of putting the community above the tribe where it transcended um, the, the small groups of people um, in, in America, it would be dependent of race or creed or kind of, kind of almost like the brew theology philosophy that, you know, we're all here together. Um, and in Christianity, the application that I was reading about said that, you know, Christians are serving the city of God first and then, you know, they're, you know, given to Caesar's, what is Caesar's, the idea of serving the community. And then that there's a hierarchy, you know, and for some it might be God, family, you know, the individual as an example. Um, and I think that benefits because if we only take care of ourselves, us and ours, we've, <laughs> if we don't have an ex- excellent example in the American society right now of the damage of divisiveness and the us and them mentality, I don't know. If you're not going to see it there, you're not going to see it anywhere. So um, the idea of where can we find common ground and where can we be um, accommodating in our differences with with patience and compassion. And I don't know if um, Stokes yeah. consider themselves compassionate per Stokes se. Stokes have but compassion? Yeah. They talk a lot about doing right by the other person. So okay. they, I, I don't. I don't remember much talk about compassion or empathy, but they talk about your actions doing well by doing right for someone else. And that's how they want to spread good things on earth, I think. But, but for me, stoicism, just the idea of not um, running from one emotion to the next and imagine how if people were... were Thinking more in terms of logic, how many murders would cease if we could share that philosophy? There would be so much less uh, violence because violence is based on emotions run amok. And um, I, I think on an individual level, that would carry out through society. Do you mean the difference between reacting, reacting in the moment and pausing to yeah. think and, and choose a response versus just yeah. Being reactionary yeah. immediately to yeah. something that's going to, on. To see the broader perspective, to see, you know, accept what's happening, all these things that they talk about, and not act immediately. Yeah, I think it would really help with our impulsive society. I mean, even on social media, 
which is so that was a heavy eye roll for me agreeing yes but it's so it's so lame and yet it's the world we live in so it's like oh you want to disregard it's just social media and yet it's predominantly like it's western society and people lose their shit and they lose friends and it gets ugly and and it gets ugly quickly on social media because we don't stop and think about the broader perspective we react immediately and with an angry emoji or whatever, you know, and it's easy to do it too. <laughs> yeah, with you know oh. yeah, your fingertips right yeah. here. I mean, yeah, it's just so easy face to face. I mean, yeah, there is the there is like the wild wild west, but then even then, like they would actually have to like, you know, do the whole I don't forty take, paces. Yeah, yeah, step, step back, <laughs> face each other. Like, are we, we going to really go through with this? Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to shoot each other? <laughs> and they had to wait for high noon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you had t- you had time to consider those actions. <laughs> what do you think could could bring about a shift if if that's the direction it's going in and just like we said being unable to control what has already happened but looking to affect and influence a new direction that might be better for society if our concern is that and our intention is that um there's modeling obviously but you know to practice it in ourselves but is there a way to communicate okay let's pause and think about this when we're in a group to make that a, a, a habit. We start using that phraseology more often. I think the hard part is that as humans, we just default to rules because rules are easy. And that's where things descend again. I mean, I think that's the hard part. So like the last few days, I can imagine what's going on with me too right now and this whole discussion leading to leading us back to which, you know, conservatives worship the 1950s. Well, let's just get everybody back in their role and you get wearing the right clothes and you do the right things and we're not alone together and we don't, you know, like like a strictness between gender that would eliminate the possibility of things, except it doesn't. It just hides things. Like, And I, I think that's true of a lot of rules. As right now, there's... So much talk, not only in what like I've experienced researching my book, but in other books that are coming out. And I, I just heard an interview in Brazil about this, like women coming up and saying like this strictness that we were raised with in our churches about our bodies and the way that we function, all that has done has created space for abuse and secrets and hiddenness. And I think that that's the really hard part of like, helping humans do better is that it's got to be just beyond it's got to be beyond rules it's got to be a heart thing it's got to be a it's got to be a motivator that is really actually caring about other people unselfishness yeah and i can't force anyone to do that like i can model it all i want but if we're dealing with impatient people that are raised on television and video games and social media like pausing to think and consider their actions isn't going to be the first thing that they do and pausing and thinking about how this affects someone else isn't going to be the first thing that they do i can't make them i can model relational theology i can model good behavior with other humans which i try to do but man, I can't force someone else to do that. I think that that's the heart, that's the rock and the hard place of all of this, whether it's perfection in daily life or changing our, our culture, like rules aren't the thing, rules aren't enough. And so 
I don't know. We'd have to all want to live in a better world and agree on what that looks like to some extent and have a space for freedom. That like, even if you're not quite in my definition, as long as you're, you're loving others and caring and being compassionate, then you have the freedom to do those other things that you want to do. Um, but man, it's way easier to just set down the rules and say, this is the way it is. And that's not hopeful. That's very stoic. <laughs> it's the way it is, but it maybe isn't the way it, it always will be. Maybe not. I think, I think everything goes in cycles so yeah. that if you look at the, the 40s and not the 40s because the war changed that, but the 50s were all rule bound yeah. and logic and rules. The 60s and 70s were feelings and emotions and do what feels good. And, and I kind of think society is somewhat coming back to a more stoic position naturally, but it, it's all just part of the cycle that we happen to be in. Right. So how do we change it? Like, is there something we can inject into it to make it different this time? I, I sometimes feel like societies are moving in their own path and the individual people don't change it that much. We happen to be in this part of of our time when, for instance, um, sexual assault is not as accepted as it used to be, and yet, in some circles, it still is accepted or blown off, at least. Right. So, I, I don't know. I just... I just see a transition, though, nature. because those circles are, are getting smaller and smaller with the reduction of ignorance and the communication that's going on where people and I, and I think men in particular who for a while felt defensive when these things were brought up because either they had had been perpetrators and feel the need to defend or justify the behavior or dismiss oh it's just you know whatever mm -hmm. but I think I think there are men and women who are changing the conversation where they say Let's talk about this and explain. One of my favorite clips that I saw on YouTube the other day, I think it was Trevor Noah, where he was talking about two contrary ideas can exist and both be true. You may know somebody who you know to be upstanding and right and good and true, and you've seen them do nothing but exemplary behavior. And their victim sees them as something else right. and both can be true at the same time. They can be a wonderful upstanding model of citizen behavior except to that victim and so the the trouble that the stumbling over the idea that those two things can be true at the same time is is the more it's talked about and the more people are coming to understand for example the new hashtag why i didn't report yep I think is is very helpful, and with that understanding comes more compassion more un, more um, patience and um, less defensiveness and and men can say just because somebody else condones it doesn't mean I have to condone it but I don't have to agree with man bashing either that's an overcompensation right. just because one man might have attacked you doesn't mean all men are evil or bad or or um aggressive sexual you know whatever predators, predators. yeah and I think it's really important that that com communication, that is the benefit of living in a modern era where this, this amount of communication going on around the world even yeah. 
I think has never happened before. And that's what makes this time unique and And, and wonderful in that sense. I I think uh, one of the ways I am positive is I do think despite some days like today, I was, I'm just overwhelmed with the fact that women are not believed and they're negated so quickly without being listened to. But overall, I really believe we as humans are evolving to a more enlightened, compassionate path. And I think we just happen to be lucky enough to live in this era where if you look back at the 1980s, I I can't tell you the number of my friends who who were sexually assaulted or raped. It was absurd. And I'm not sure if the numbers are still as high for this generation, but I do know that women of my daughter's generation wouldn't stay quiet if they were sexually assaulted. And so we're progressing. And men are not who they used to be. They're not, they don't feel the need to live up to some bizarre macho notion anymore. Right. So I really do believe we're evolving as a society and we're just lucky to be living in a time where we're dealing with these questions and working through them, hopefully to something better. And the hard part is this is hard work. This is not easy work. Right. I've, I've, I've read many, many stories this week on my timeline from women that I know that have said why I didn't report and I had no idea. And that makes me very sad because that also means that, and I think this is true for a lot of women coming out of our traditions. I've never had these conversations with women. Right. There, there was no space in the church, even inside of women's circles to have this conversation. And that's, that's evil and wrong in and of itself. And so I think that, that we all need to be listening and, and just responding and hearing and responding with compassion because this may be the first time that those conversations are being had. And that, that amazes me that like this thing, this social media thing that is going to be there, like yeah, that people are willing to be vulnerable and say, this happened to me. Mm-hmm. And for all the haters out there that say, oh, there's no way, way these numbers are real, go read them. And know that there are two, three, five women for every hashtag that comes up that says why I didn't report that still haven't told their story. Yep. This is not a joke and it's not it's not made up. This is reality and it's it's time for us to deal with that. But it's fascinating what Ryan was saying earlier about how on social media sometimes we're so quick to be angry and so quick to re- respond negatively. But here's something that I see positive happening. And it's, it's almost like a roller coaster that it's been going up this hill and now it's starting to be at the top and go down yeah. and there's no stopping it now. Yeah. So it, it can be used for such good and such bad, but it's, it's just fascinating to see what can be done for the positive too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, can't, I can't speak to this um, personally as, as a male, but the pain that happened in the past, it's, it's happening again yeah. as people are telling their stories. So we're looking at positivity through a negative lens. And I think that's the part where we, you know, we have to get past those good evil. It's like, no, you know what we have in order to get to progress, like we got to reopen these yeah. wounds again. And anyway, I, it's, that's brave. I and bold and incredibly vulnerable. So I, I applaud the women out there who are doing that. But I know, I, I can think of so many friends of mine who will never, ever tell their stories. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who 
lost her relationship with her mother because her mother blamed her for some for a rape that happened to her. And I I have friends who will just never tell their story publicly. And and it's so I just wish, you know, of all these things, if we would just listen to the just people listen. in our lives. And just believe listen, and believe. You know? Yeah. Or and if you look at our mother's generation, man, those women won't they really won't tell their story because it was not the thing that you did. Right. But my daughter's generation, man, they are tough. And it's wonderful to see. Yeah. They they don't put up with the crap we put up with. Well, <laughs> here's where I think it transcends gender because I think we have to remember that men have also experienced Absolutely. Uh, being attacked. And I think there's a broader question of how we deal with shame yeah. and guilt. And I think um, if we're going to stick with the topic at hand, the Stoic philosophy benefiting society... I think in their version of not blaming anyone else. Um, I'm not saying that there, there aren't things that happen and that people do things and that they need to be held accountable. Do not mistake me. But I think there is something to be said for there's a lot of healing in viewing things with the intention of um, getting past the state of this happened to me or the victimhood right. of it. And that there's a lot of healing of saying, am I more than just what has happened to me? And how can I take what has happened to me and grow personally and also support others and help them heal and help them move forward? And dare I say, even if you're blessed with the gift of healing to the point of being able to forgive that that, is not for the other person, as we know, I think at this table at least, forgiveness is a, is a gift that you give yourself because you no longer carry the resentment, anger, hatred, whatever feelings that come along with that, that some people carry forever because they never get yep. heal from the, from the evidence. And I, I, that's what I would like to see the conversation evolve to is, Let's talk about these things that happen openly and honestly. Let's talk about addressing them in a constructive manner. But let's talk about how do we heal? Who them? are you after? Yeah, you know, and 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 what can come that that makes the, us better as individuals and us better as a society? Well, and I think one of the one of the quotes I saw this week that really I loved was, "What if the answer from the Supreme Court nominee was, you know what?" I did a really shitty thing and I'm really sorry. And I've been in a lot of therapy and I've done a lot of work on my life and I've really reflected on it and I'm trying to do better. What, what if the mind blowing, that would just be so mind blowing. I mean, what if the conversations yeah. and what if that was the case for all of us? Yeah. Then instead of meeting this with shame and that you're wounded and you're dirty and mm -hmm. you're broken. Or you're the bad person. Or you're mm -hmm. the bad person. Mm -hmm. What if we started meeting in the middle and saying, okay, like, you know, I fucked up and you were the recipient of that. And I, I am sorry. Like, if you mean it, I am sorry. And I have worked on it and I have am doing better and I acknowledge your pain and I acknowledge what you've been through and I'm sorry. That's a much different, like that changes the whole conversation. Now, legally, all those kinds of things, that's still there. I'm not saying we erase that at all, 
But just what if we ha- what if we could have an honest conversation about what happened? Um, I just and I think that the church is part of the problem here because they've not allowed anybody to have an honest conversation about these topics ever. I think when you talk about blame and guilt, as women, the women who've been assaulted or raped, there's such a feeling of blame and shame and guilt on yourself. And then there is also, whether they acknowledge it or not, men who have raped and men who have sexually assaulted, they are carrying around that shame. And it's doing something to them. And sometimes a man friend of mine told me this today in a behind-the-scenes conversation. He said, there are so many men out there who did things wrong. They sexually assaulted women. And they're living with the shame and guilt of it, but they've turned it into anger instead of something constructive. And and an open dialogue, like you said, imagine not only what that would do to the victims, but to all the men who know in their hearts that they hurt somebody and they wish there was a way to turn back and say, I'm sorry, can we fix this? It would be amazing and it would be healing for everyone. And that goes, that let's just to be clear, that goes across all gender lines. So whether that's um, LGBTQ on LGBTQ or straight on LGBTQ or women on men, all of it. Like that if we could learn to sit down to the table and have that conversation. And if it was the churches, all this stuff coming out with mm, priests if abusing children. If the churches children, could maybe, I don't know, admit. like be a place to start the conversation. Yeah, exactly. How shocking would that Especially be? Especially well, when already been abusive allegations have, come out. We have historical a construct that effectively was used in apartheid in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the mm-hmm. one of the applications yes. was the tribal belief they had of faith, allowing their the accused to be faced by the accuser face to face and that was empowering for both i think and then the accuser had the chance to clearly state how they were hurt and what had happened and what had gone on with witnesses and the accused then had the right to to do just what you were saying to take responsibility to acknowledge to i mean how powerful is just having things acknowledged but then you know, maybe even to make amends. And there was healing on both sides because of it. And yeah. and if there was a outside of the legal court, a place for healing, I don't know what they would call it. I don't, it doesn't, it, it seems so contrary to the American society of prosecution. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they say you're innocent until proven guilty, but we know the practical application is I'm going to distrust you until you're proven innocent. Yeah. From the time you're arrested, um, and and so absolutely, the churches would be a beautiful place to to provide that without further. Now, in 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 South Africa, I understand those that refused to take responsibility or to admit or whatever they they then had further prosecution legally and were probably, you know, spent time in jail and so on. Um, but but what a beautiful thing that could be if if that was pursued. Do you, is that a possibility? I don't know. I think for, for people who go to church, that would be beautiful. But as a society, less and less of us go to church, too. So where is the place in society that we can yeah. open that up? Because I'm not going to go to a church and, and listen to some preacher talk about it. I'm not, because I'm done with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm done with male preachers up there. <laughs> you Don't get me started on it. 
But so where in society do we have a place where you can go like that? And it's it's turning into social media is our only place right now. Right. And the, then the problem with that is it's not it's not 3D. Right. It's it's words and it's community and it is it can be redemptive, but it's also not person to person. And we mm-hmm. need to be in the room with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. Maybe we need to work on that. Ooh, we got to work on having grace for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's end on this one. This is uh, the last question that you have here. It's an expert on Stoicism, Professor Christopher Gill. He stated this, that the key idea of Stoicism is that all of us have the basis for our happiness. All of us have the ability to work toward our own happiness. Whatever our situation, happiness depends on developing in ourselves what they call the virtues, fundamental human qualities like justice, wisdom, and temperance. We all have these capacities and should make them central to our actions, feelings, and relationships and how we see the world. So then do we, do we feel that stoicism is a workable model for attaining happiness or is it just too negative? Wah, wah, Debbie Downer, by today's <laughs> standards. I think it's doable if we teach it. I think one of the problems right now is that um, that's not the focus of the curriculums that are in our public schools and pulling everybody into private school often, often um, injects religion into the conversation instead of just virtues. Um, and so I think that that's hard because how do we do it? Like, yes, I think there's some truth here, but what's the mechanism? I grew up really thinking happiness was out of my control because just how I was raised is is that I felt that bad things happened and you you dealt with them and you were stuck with them. And a pastor's wife actually said to me, and I don't think she had any clue, it was a stoic way of thinking, but she said to me when I was 14, she said, you can't control what other people do to you. You can only control how you react and think. And then it changed my entire perspective on life. It, it changed everything that I had thought I was raised to believe in the church. And I thought, oh my God, I can be happy because mm-hmm. it really can change you that much so that if you go things go through things in your life like the death of a husband, rape, divorce, then you can still find happiness despite all that. So I think it's it's a very workable and usable way to live life. I think it was interesting around the table that at our discussion, I think everyone at the table felt a real they were really drawn to many of the ideas of stoicism and they felt it was workable. How about at your guys's tables? Ryan, you know? Uh, not our table. <laughs> oh, okay. I want to hear this. Because it was weird. We were all like in agreement. So I'm dying to know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with just the, some of the, the theology that was permeating within a lot of the group in our table, but yeah, stoicism didn't lend itself to what we would call prosperity or peace. And a lot of it had to do with probably the, the fatalism, the accepting, and there was a pushback against that and more of like that human drive. Yeah. 
See, I'm I'm also drawn to Buddhism, and that has an accepting attitude toward it. So it must have just been a. We had some a, protesting Protestants. Uh huh. Okay. It's, like, it's, like, it's all good. <laughs> the Protestants. <laughs> some Lutherans. I'll just say that. <laughs> I don't think Luther would accept this. Oh no. <laughs> just out of curiosity, why not? Oh, because he he could not handle his own status quo. The world that he was given in the 16th century, I mean, knowing what he knew about the Catholic Church and the knowledge that he received from that, you know, he had to push back and... Um, Take action. He, he didn't know what he was going to become and the catalyst that he was for the, the Reformation. Granted, he's still, I mean, he, he right place, right time, right people and connections. I mean, that guy had great connections, but... It's what's funny about that though. I, I look at Lutherans even like stereotypically, and it is the um, you accept what is and you are hardworking. Uh, they're they're in a way, ironically, they're they're kind of stoic if you mm-hmm. think about it. If you think about the Midwestern Lutheran mentality, mm-hmm. is you can't control what others do to you, but you can control what you what you do and what you can say to others and do to others. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to. Oh, be, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah. Ironic. Well, and it goes back to that question, does stoicism inevitably lead to personal inaction? And that's what you're saying he would he would be against, that you have to take action when something is... Yeah. But I think through that action, the intention wasn't to change others. It was to point out uh, a belief, and then others would do with it what they will. Not for Luther. I he wanted I'll, to change the church. Yeah. He wanted to set the church on fire. He was out to change the Catholic Church. Yeah, I mean, he he was, and and he went he went for the higher ups, like he Mm -hmm. went he went for the nobility, Mm -hmm. because he realized the only way that change can happen. He wasn't so much concerned with with the commoners. We say, oh, Luther was for all people. He was. It was a trickle down effect. He went to the ones who could read, and he he wrote for them who could read and then change it. Because nobody nobody could really read. Commoners were no. Why? Why else would you go from Latin to German? Like, oh, mm-hmm. so those so who I could change the system could change it. Yeah. I guess at Birth Theology, we need to publish an emoji Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard to carry around in your backpack, though, man. <laughs> Is it a workable model for attaining happiness? Maybe at times, perhaps. But see, you're a natural optimist. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when, when things are, are looking down for me, it's, yeah. it's bad. It get, yeah. And so yeah. I, I think a dose of stoicism is, is good for me. Yeah. It's like, it's like somebody who goes in and hears Joel Osteen preach, for instance, and they're so excited and they're so happy and they're going to, you know, they're going to get all of God's blessings. And then next week their girlfriend dumps them, their dog dies, they get fired, whatever. All these bad things happen. Like talk about the end of the world for that kind of person. Mm-hmm. The optimist is suddenly like defeated and now they're, mm-hmm. they're like a nihilist. I think you need a healthy dose of both, personally, yeah. as somebody who is on the more optimistic side of things. Or the pessimist is like figures. <laughs> <laughs> I think stoicism takes you so far, but after that, um, there's the grace. And I think that's the biggest difference between stoicism and Christianity. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there is much room for grace and stoicism from all my reading, but no, nope. I wouldn't yeah. think so. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Well, I mean, okay, but you've got Norman Vincent Peale here. Um, 
I mean, he definitely would inject grace into this. Well, that, that's mm-hmm. the that's the opposite. And that's example. the opposite. Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. positive thinking. Yeah. Yeah, you think about like the friends that you have, and maybe you are that friend. But there's legitimate chemical chemical support now with the brain science that they have been doing that your thoughts are actual physical threads within your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Smoking being a prime example that, that as we have a habit of thinking smoking's okay. And then as we try to quit smoking and we stop smoking, those threads die and are replaced by other threads, which are other thoughts. And that the, the chemical we, we know, like with anger, that's mm-hmm. also another obvious example, the hormones that are released, the cortisol and the, you know, you wind up with bad arthritis in an old age because of the, a life of anger, um, that there are consequences to, again, the difference between slipping in it and running down the hill. I think there's right. a difference between I might have a disposition I'm born with that struggles to see the positive, but I think there's a lot more to be said of these things happen to me and now I'm going to feel bad about it for the rest of my life and always think about it day in, day out, what happened to me versus I'm going to find a way to heal and move past it and benefit others. And, you know, if nothing yeah. else, I have compassion for something that something happening to somebody else. It may not be the same thing. And I think that's where um, the workable model comes in, in terms of discipline of I'm going to choose how I think. I'm going to make it an intention. And this is where the modern idea of being awoke and being aware and living an intentioned life comes in. I, I feel like as Christians, we are asked to live with the, with a different intention granted and maybe a different purpose and a different goal, but still the, that commonality of I'm going to live an intentioned life and I'm going to choose what to think about whatever, right, whatever is good, whatever is true. And that can make a big difference in someone's life if they make it a daily practice. And I say practice because then by definition, it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. Maybe practice is perfect versus the, what we've been told, right? Perfectly practice. incomplete. That practice itself is the yeah, goal. It is. And, yeah. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that would erase all the shame for not achieving. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. And then what? All that time in the brain? All that space? Yeah. Well, we did it. This is 100 episodes. Yes, it is. Part two of Stoicism. If you've listened all the way, that's 100 episodes. 100. Go back to number one. We have recorded 100 now. That's crazy. (laughs) What was number one? I think it was an intro. Yeah. 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 Was it labels or you, you did an intro? I think I did an intro. Yeah. So that one really doesn't count. No, it counts. It counts. <laughs> it counts. But I think if that's, we, that's if, back when we had a Yeti mic in the center. But we're at yeah. 100. So we have to thank someone that you guys don't hear from or see very often. And that's Dan. Because Dan is at the heart of the podcast because he listens to us babble and mm-hmm. rearranges things and adds music to make it pretty. And every week he shows up and takes care of us in this way. So thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. For a hundred episodes. Dan, this I'm, is I'm giving you virtual kisses right now, Danny boy. Awesome. Oh, we should make noise just to irritate. One, one, one. Love you, Danny. All right. Well, uh, make sure you share this online. Go to iTunes, review it, rate it. Five stars is always good. And brutheology.org. That's yep. all your information that you need Everything right there. Everything you need. Cheers. Cheers.